Today on Basic, the co-creator of Comedy Central's Broad City, Abby Jacobson. I show up with to my practice team one night and my friend Tim Martin, who he had brought these two new people that he met in the class, Alana and her brother Elliot. It was very confusing and like Arrested Development had sort of just stopped. And Alana looked so much like Alia Shawkat. I truly was like, the girl from Arrested Development is in my practice group. Like, this is nuts. The first night we met, Alana and I just hit it off in a way that I don't know if I ever had hit it off with a new friend right away. And we're talking and she's talking about where she's from. And I had gone to college with someone from that town and I say their name and she knows them. And I was like, this is not the girl from Arrested Development. I remember feeling in that bar on that night, I've never met anyone like this. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, former TV executive, and there's no crying in podcasts. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine. And actually, I think there's a lot of crying in podcasts. Well, at least I haven't made you cry yet, Jen, and vice versa. So I think so well, far we're doing you know good. of. <laughs> so our guest today uh, is the co-creator of uh, Comedy Central's Broad City, and Jen and I are both big fans, Abby Jacobson. Alongside Alana Glazer, Abby Jacobson created a truly funny, quirky show that resonated with viewers, including myself and critics alike, and really stood out amongst Comedy Central's male-dominated lineup. Abby also co-created and stars in the new Amazon series, A League of Their Own, which is based on the famous 90s film about the first all-female baseball team. We'll talk to Abby all about this and hang around afterwards as Jen and I talk to each other about everything she told us. Abby Jacobson, we are so excited to have you here on BASIC. And we want to start by asking you the same question that we ask of all of our guests at the beginning of a podcast, which is, do you remember when you first got cable television or was it something you always had? I was very young when I, we got it, but I remember having way more channels to surf through mm -hmm. maybe in elementary school. Mm -hmm. were, you, were you like a Nickelodeon or a Disney person or like, what was your you thing? Know, I don't know. I was not I, like maybe a touch Nickelodeon and Disney, but I was, I think we watched a ton of reruns of old sitcoms in my house versus like new programming for like the Nickelodeon, like all the young stars that are now or young stars then that are now like big movie stars. Like I had no idea who, that they were on Nickelodeon. So maybe you're more Nick at night. I was way more Nick at night. I don't remember exactly when I got uh, cable, but, you know, I was very, uh, I was really obsessed with SNL, but, but I was obsessed with like my, that my current SNL at the time, which was probably like Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry into like Amy Poehler and them. But I was really obsessed with the, the first season's cast because there were reruns on Comedy Central. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just rented, I just bought it actually recently, but Comedy Central also would air Guild Alive. Mm -hmm. And so like Com Comedy Central, I think for me was channel 52, 50 or 52. And my brother and I were always watching like reruns of old SNLs and stuff. And 
SNL was a thing that my parents would let me stay up for every once in a while as a kid. And I was just like, what are they doing? Like, that was what I wanted to do. And so as a kid, I started, I'm from Philly and I, uh, my parents were very sweet and they let me take, they let me sign up for classes at the Walnut street theater every Saturday, every so often I would take a class down there, which was like a big, I felt like I was basic, the basically going to Hollywood, but I was just going like downtown Philly. So I was interested, but it just like did not see, like I just didn't really see like a path forward. Um, And then in middle school, again, on the SNL track, (laughs) I was really into Mike Myers on SNL. And I started doing, impersonating him doing coffee talk. in school um you remember like student council yeah yeah Yeah, like your homeroom I would I got elected my student council representative and so like once a month you'd go to a meeting and then you'd come back to your homeroom and like report to them Mm -hmm. what's like the dance is coming up or like Mm -hmm. the vending machine or like after school sports whatever you know you'd like tell them what's going on and I started doing it as Linda Richmond (laughs) Mike Myers character and it killed like it was the first taste you know and I made my own my own I wrote my own bits it was just me doing that character and I don't know like it hit for the teachers too which was I think was more where my eyes were I was like you can't like I don't know laughter you know now I'm I'm working on a show that is is a more of a blend of comedy and drama. And sometimes I'm a little more unsure how the drama is working mm. until we like really get into post. Whereas like the comedy, you like, know, you know, right away, you know, the laughter. And so even in, in student council, I was like, this is, this is going like, this is, I'm getting a taste of like, kind of like how I can like harness a laugh. I moved to New York right after college. And I was like, this is really, oh, I see the connection. Like, this is really me wanting to do comedy and not really knowing how to like say that because that's such a scary thing. Mm-hmm. But I, at the end of school, I started realizing I really wanted to be an actor, even though that was like so unheard of. And I applied to the uh, Atlantic Theater Conservis- Conservatory, which is David Mamet's school hilariously I don't know why that's hilarious just like it's just hilarious because I really did not belong there and I don't (laughs) think I do and it like it's just not how my brain works so I went there moved up to New York thought I would go there for two years for this more dramatic program and it was just very heady and not how my brain worked and I'm like really truncating this but Got I got it. I had just like, I quit that and I had a day job and my roommate at the time who had gone to Micah with me said, you know, I really think you should go check out this place, the Upright Citizens Brigade, what you did in college. Like, I just think you would like it. And I had never heard of it. And I went there and I feel like the rest of my life. I mean, I'm like, that's, a, that's like the moment everything really shifted for me. So when you got to UCB, that's really where you met Alana Glazer, who you obviously worked with on Broad City. Um, could you talk a little bit about 
well, first of all, what Upright Citizens Brigade is like for people who aren't familiar with it. And then also just the connection that you felt with Alana when you first met each other. Yeah, so the UCB's Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, um, it was founded in Chicago uh, by Amy Poehler, Matt Walsh, Ian Roberts, and Matt Besser. <laughs> I, I, like, I love that I like, still kind of have the... This is something I used to say so much, and I haven't said that in a long time. <laughs> but, they're the UCB, they're the UCB the Beatles. UCB, yeah, they're the UCB Beatles. And it, it, it's, um, you know, they came out of the Chicago improv and sketch scene. They had a TV show on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I came to it, I came to my the first show in 2006. And it had been, you know, it was already such a space where a lot of the creators that we love had already been playing for a long time and already had that. I think this, where I found it, it was in its second location in New York. Anyway, I I threw myself into that. So I I worked at anthropology at Rockefeller center at the time. Truly there's a lot of anthropologies in New York city. (laughs) And I got the one at Rockefeller center because it was close to SNL. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just in case Amy just, Poehler walked in. Well, I, it was just like this thing of like, I'm right here. I'm I'm there. Like, I just wanted to be like as close as I could. And I like walked in to the bottom of Rockefeller Center every day to work. And it was just like, it made me feel like, even though that was like, that dream was so, was and is <laughs> so far <laughs> away. <laughs> I felt like that, that, that actual geographical proximity was like, I made it. Below it, you know, I don't know. It was you're in the, you're in the building. I'm in the building. And there's like um, an emergency and they need someone for a sketch. Like yeah. maybe Lauren Michaels will run into anthropology and need you to come on upstairs. You know? and, and they might need clothes and and yeah, exactly. I don't know. They might need an emergency cast member. I don't know. But um, and so when a lot of people's stories when you start there is like all you want to do is get on that stage. And sort of like the trajectory that I was watching was um, you took a lot of classes and sort of to like train, like it's like working out, you're working this, these improv muscles so that you can get on stage and like not think at all, mm-hmm. which is very different than Mamet school, which was like all about thinking. And so that's why I was really drawn to the UCB. But, you know, the goal was like to get on a Herald team, which is like the, like being on like, a, a theater's like uh like house ensemble right that would be like the equivalent or whatever or student there, council yeah or student <laughs> council you know getting selected and it's like a very listen it there's like eight people per team and it's like super selective like hundreds and hundreds of people audition and it's really hard to get on and then on top of that there was like one or two women on each team if you're lucky, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, I, I was there for, I auditioned for years and like, couldn't get on there and like, couldn't like, could, I couldn't find my footing, even though I've kind of, I start, I felt like I was getting better and I was starting to feel that confidence. And while I was trying, you, you join these practice groups. So you practice at night, with your team that you made and then you perform on weekends in like little dive bars or little black box theaters all over the city. And you like, you like 
give your audience like shots to come. It's like, you're like (laughs) buying them tickets to come to see your show. Anyway, I show up with, to my practice team one night and, uh, my friend, Tim Martin, who was one of the most brilliant improvisers I knew it and have worked with. Anyway, he had brought these two new, new people that he met in the class, Alana and her brother, Elliot. And there weren't any other women on our practice group and they were like, great. And I, it was very confusing. And like, I write about this in my book a lot, but I, uh, Arrested Development had sort of just stopped. And Alana looked so much like Alia Shawkat. And mm-hmm. I did not know Alia Shawkat's name, but I truly was like, the girl from Arrested Development is in my practice group. Like, this is nuts. And also I was like, you know what? The show ended. Maybe she moved to New York and like, she would be doing improv. Like, that makes sense. Like, I I was like, this is nuts. And so we, the first night we met that they came, we go to McManus, Peter McManus, which is a bar in New York City, Irish pub that was known to be the bar that a lot of the improvisers and comedians would go to after shows. And we're sitting on the end of the bar and Alana and I just hit it off like in a way that I don't know if I ever had like had hit it off with a new friend right away. And we're talking and she's talking about where she's from. And I had gone to college with someone from that town and I say their name and she knows them. And I was like, this is not the girl from Arrested (laughs) Development. Cause like there's, I would have known if my friends have got, you know, and then I, I was like, okay, it's not her, but she looks just like her. But I, I remember feeling in that bar on that night, like I've never met anyone like this. And we just like cracked each other up. There was like a, it was a very unique dynamic. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. How did the uh, how did the web series sort of prepare you for ultimately having a, a actual television show? I'm so happy that we did that before pitching and getting an opportunity to write the longer version because it just let us really experiment mm-hmm. and really sort of define the core of the show, which is this di- this relationship. And not neither of us had ever written for TV before, and I think if we hadn't done that, it would have been like a lot more um, like, what should this be about, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was more defined, I think, after the web series. You said that you, one of the things you loved about doing the web series was that you could make something and you guys were really in control of it. You didn't have to deal with gatekeepers to do what you wanted to do. Once you get to a cable network, did you still feel like, obviously there's a lot more people involved and people with opinions involved, but did you still feel like you had control over it. I'm sure it was very different. You know, listen, I've been really lucky. Like the two shows I've gotten to make, I I, ha- I do feel like two, in as much as I can, I do feel like I have a lot of creative control, mm-hmm. which is, has been incredible. But when we, right when we started, I mean, we sold, we sold it to FX first. And then I, for, I forgot the FX part. So going back to Jen's question, you sold it to FX first? Yeah, I will say to, to Kent's credit, we we pitched it to you guys, and I think he wanted it then, and we went to FX first. Mm. Kent, that's Kent Alterman, by the way, who Kent was the uh, who was the president of Comedy Central. Was actually the person who bought Broad City along with Amy Schumer, along with Nathan Fielder, yeah. along with Nick Kroll, mm-hmm. along with Kean Peel, mm-hmm. the great and Kent so- Alterman. Kent Alterman. I mean, I can't, I could, I could do a whole episode about Kent. So wait, so how um, did we get it back from FX? So we, <laughs> I don't, so I don't remember FX the story. bought it and we, I don't know what it was. It might've been like the, like, it's always sunny. Like, I don't know what it was that like made us want to go there mm-hmm. because we were, we never like defined ourselves. We weren't a sketch show. And I think at the time, Comedy Central was more sketch shows than scripted. And so we were like, wow, like it's always sunny felt more akin to like what we were trying to do. Anyway, we had, they wanted us to bring a showrunner on and we developed it and we thought it was really great. And it got to the point and, you know, we had all these episodes to like prove proof of concept. And then I, you know, I write about it in the book, but it's like, it still makes me, <laughs> it still makes me like, whatever. I'm I'm really happy that this happened, but it really, so they, they passed after a year and like the development execs we worked with were great. And we really thought they loved it. And like, I think they did. And then it kind of gets to the top 
and that then there's a no. And, and we heard that it was too, it was a pass because it was too girly. What does that mean? <laughs> and that was like the quote that we were told. Would you like me to mansplain that, ladies? Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> Tell me what girly means. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. And I also, um, like, what a shitty thing to say. Just, yeah. Shitty thing to say. And also, like, you're making one, I'm like, does it, that that's like it like a one that's a I don't think Broad City is uh necessarily girly but that's not a it's not a bad thing either mm -hmm. and then it, it's almost like positioned as a negative right. uh you know whatever but I I I, I ended up I've never like gotten a show made over there. Maybe one no. day I will. I'm um, actually but... I'm actually shocked to hear them say something as dismissive because I think generally they do very good work and they're pretty smart mm -hmm. people. And I know and, and, and very and, 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 and artists artists friendly. So just that they would say something. No, and it's, just, it's, a, it's a, surprising. It, no, it bums me out because like of uh, you know of all the networks, I I really do respond to a lot of their comedies, and I do I kind of feel like my my voice is similar to a lot of their comedies, and, but mm -hmm. I just kind of feel like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because we've talked about this a lot on this podcast um, because in the nineties, certainly, and even in the two thousands, it just felt like so male dominated, especially when you're talking about comedy. And then there was this moment that you and Alana were part of, and then also inside Amy Schumer was very successful. Um, not that it's in the quite the same category, but like Girls was successful. There, there were yeah. like a number of shows that were centering women um, that kind of all popped at the same time. And I mean, to what extent were you like aware of that, thinking about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we were like forced to think about it. But when we were making the web series, we were not like, uh, I think we were just so excited to have that control and to feel like, it, it just, that time, I mean, that time in our 20s when we are making the web series is so the window of time that we are constantly trying to replicate in the show, Broad City. Mm -hmm. That feeling of like, anything's possible. We just have to like put our heads together and like do it. That is like kind of what we were always trying to do. Uh, you know, Abby and Alana in the show are not trying to break into Hollywood, but like whatever they're, task it's like that feeling of like mm -hmm. anything's possible and you know when when we started pitching pre you know going to fx we pitched all over town and we were i always like forget about this on purpose because it annoys the fuck out of me uh <laughs> but you know we're, we're out we're pitching with amy amy amy's like sitting with us in the room and any almost every single place we went someone would be like well, we, we do have the new girl already, so. Right. We have our, we have our girl show. And HBO was like, we have girls, so. Yeah. And it was like, I, what, I don't know what else was happening, but it was always like, well, how many, like, how many shows about dudes do, is, like, they're everywhere? How many mm -hmm. fat, like, we're not the same. Like, I, I understand, like, at some point you have to, like, factor that in. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, it was so clearly like there's room. It was exactly, I mean, I really feel like it was exactly the same of like the Herald team. There's like a spot for one or two girls 
on this team and six or seven guys shows, you know, like, it's like, it's so like transparent and I, I hope it's changing, but I think to a certain extent, we're still always compared to each other. Well, you, you always talked about how New York city was a character in the show and yeah, it really was. Yeah. I mean, you guys did an unbelievable job using Manhattan. Is there, was there an ultimate broad city, New York city moment? Oh man. It was so, it was so like, I don't know if meta is the right word because in making this show where we, I think we felt this the whole time, but you're really, again, like trying to tap into what it feels like. A lot of like the, the scenarios and the things are always trying to amplify what it feels like to do a thing in New York. And it's from that like very romantic place of someone who moves to New York and that, that this city has all the possibility in it. And like, there's a lot of like grossness and shit and like sweat and tears and like fucked up stuff that you have to like kind of get through along the way. But in making it, we ended up like getting to experience these like really incredible uh, heightened things about New York. Like, I mean, I can't I go to that. S- I can't go to that Bed Bath and Beyond down in uh, Chelsea <laughs> without thinking of you guys. I mean, that's that's why my mom worked at Bed Bath and Beyond when I was a kid. That's where that came from, and like, she had all these friends, and that's where that storyline came. From. I mean, I honestly think that there were so many New York moments, but the one that's really calling out to me that is such a like picture of what the show is and what I just said is in the finale when we are pushing a Toto toilet over the Brooklyn bridge (laughs) (laughs) because it's like a thing we found on the street that is like Alana has been talking about Toto toilets forever like those are the really good ones like this can't go to waste and like we've been kind of dealing with the we've kind of been like hinting at like anything that you put on the street in New York like gets like scooped up because like that's what happens and so we need to get it home. No cab will take it. And so we have to push it across the Brooklyn Bridge. And like, that was, I mean, it's our finale. Mm-hmm. And it's like the ultimate schlep. This show is about the Lovely. schlep. And like, <laughs> it's the ultimate schlep. And it's like our crew, like the Brooklyn Bridge was not closed for us, the pedestrian. There are just fucking People walking through <laughs> while we are pushing to it and our crew is in front of like we're we had a pocket of like BG around us, but it was like so exactly what we're talking about. And we're like the characters are dealing with like uh spoiler alert if no one's seen the show, <laughs> dealing with like the show is about this relationship and what happens when you grow mm-hmm. and like cha- change and need to leave, like what happens? And it's like, we're saying goodbye. Uh, you know, you end up saying goodbye again, but you're saying goodbye in the middle of the Brooklyn bridge with a Toto toilet in the middle of us. And like, we're signing Abby and Alana forever on the Brooklyn bridge like that I don't think that when we started we we would have ever thought that we could have come up with like a more 
perfect moment in all the ways that like exemplifies how we felt about New York. Mm -hmm. And then the end end, the last moment of the show, which Paul W. Downs, who is also a creator, also Mm -hmm. a star of Hacks, who, I mean, the Paul and Lucia and Jen Satsky, who all run that, all were a, a, a extremely vital part of Broad City. And we were writing season five in LA uh, because they were, they all lived down here at the time. And Paul came in one day and said, I had a vision of the end. And he said, basically what happens? Mm-hmm. It's that at the end, like we hadn't exact at the end, you, it's not, me or Alana, you, Alana goes into the subway and we stay up on the ground in Washington, uh, sorry, in Union Square. And we see how many other Abby and Alana's there are. Mm-hmm. And that's what the show is about. Like we were just following one. There are like, you are like everyone. That's the whole thing of like, that's like me and my best friend. Like that's what I get all the time, which is like the best fucking compliment I could ever get, which is like, no, you're going to, the, the one time that we ever were allowed to afford a crane shot is the last (laughs) fucking shot of the whole thing (laughs) and pull out and you see all of these other pairs. As they say, there's there's a million stories in the broad city. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that was like when he came in and like said we were like, I mean, I have chills even thinking about it now. Like that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, you did move on from Broad City, moved to Los Angeles, um, at yeah. least where you are these days. And yeah. now you're about tell tell us uh, about the new show you're about to launch. Yeah, so I'm about to, it comes out August 12th, and it's like a reimagining for TV version of A League of Their Own, which is people's favorite fucking movie. And the movie will always be available to watch and <laughs> and enjoy right here. Just because we're doing this doesn't mean the movie's going anywhere. But I'm like, it's so much pressure because people love this thing, this piece of content. And I do too. It's like a whole whole part of why I wanted to do it. And Will Graham, who had been uh, a showrunner for a while on Mozart in the Jungle, uh, and we were just acquaintances. We had a bunch of mutual friends. And he asked me if I wanted to do this with him when I was... I think in the middle of making season four of Broad City. And oh, wow. so, yeah, we pitched the show in 2017. And so I, I didn't really know when we were going to end Broad City, uh, but I knew I was like, couldn't say no to this. And we, so we've been working on this for a really long time. And our initial conversations were all about this sort of thing of like, we're not trying to, this movie doesn't need a remake. It's more like the movie's two hours. And the movie was done in 1992 and there's only so much real estate and only so much that Penny Marshall could say. And we're telling 
a lot more stories about women playing baseball in the 1940s. And some of them were on that league that uh, the All-American Girls uh, Professional Baseball League that that the movie primarily focuses on. And some were, uh, you know, that league did not allow black or brown women to even try out. And that's not something that a 1992 movie was going to talk about. And right. we have the real estate of a, at least a season right now, maybe more, hopefully more. There's just like so much more to tell about that era, about women playing baseball, about the one time in history there was, was an American professional baseball league for women, which there is not right now. And so that was really exciting. How are we, what other stories can we tell? And, and so that, that was always the intention of our version. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting to me because obviously these are two very different projects, but I do see connective tissue between Broad City and what a league of their own is doing and that it's, you know, it's about female friendships. It's also about women who sort of feel like they're misfits a little bit. They don't quite fit in with, um, conform to what society expects of them. And that's, those themes I think are very much in Broad City as well. So I can understand why you were attracted to the material. Yeah. And I mean, that was also, I mean, that's in the film and also sure. Bill and I, I think I'm always like the dynamic I talk about with Broad City and that found that person that I found, I mean, I, that, oh, I feel that way about real Alana. Like, that's why we did, you know, we did it. I do feel like that's, I, I mean, I love Max and Clance on In League. Like that dynamic is a friendship that is like family and that is like no other. And then they're like, Greta and Joe, uh, like that, like, and you'll, you'll see if you keep watching, there are dynamics in this show that itch that forever scratch I have of mm -hmm. what it feels like to have your people. And then what it feels like when that gets like, that changes. So we have a first question that we always ask and a yep. last question that we tend to ask, which is aside from, you know, Broad City and shows that you've been in, what is your favorite cable TV show of all time? I would maybe say it's always sunny. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Those guys, I feel like I feel very like connected to to those guys and how they started. Like I think they like put out there's like a little doc about how they made mm -hmm. theirs. I feel very connected to to like that beginning, and and like even like the meta ness of their dynamic their like friendship feels like real too. And mm -hmm. I mean, like, is it still on? Yeah, yes. still going. It's All longevity right. is not that, but like, it's no, no, crazy. They're, not, they're allowed to still like, be on. It's crazy that they're still going. And yeah. you just get a sense of one, just like some of the funniest characters ever. And just like, they are, I mean, I, I'm all about, I guess I will forever make content that is about like finding your people. Mm -hmm. and like what it is like when you find your people. And I'm like, those are like those, that group is so fucking weird and unique and specific and like insane and funny and funny. Yeah. And I just like, really, I really admire those guys. Well, that's a perfect answer. Yeah. So again, 
Abby Jacobson, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you taking time uh, when you're very busy getting ready to put on your new show, League of Their Own, which hopefully everybody will check out. And uh, it was great having you. Thank you so much for having me. Really, Thanks, so Abby. much fun. So, uh, so many things about that conversation with Abby Jacobson were interesting to me, but I'll start with the first one, which is the whole idea that Broad City was uh, dismissed initially for being too, quote unquote, girly, which reminded me, if I can briefly make this about Clueless for just a moment, <laughs> um, when, when Amy Heckerling, who directed and wrote that film, was pitching Clueless, one of the pieces of feedback she got at one point, and I forget which studio it was, was this is good, but can you make it more about the guys? And the whole point of the movie, first of all, is that it's about Cher. Second of all, it's based on Emma by Jane Austen, which is about Emma. <laughs> like it was just, they didn't even understand what she was trying to do. And it's just, and that was 20 years at least before Broad City came around. So the idea that those conversations are still happening or were still happening then, and I'm sure happen from time to time now, like it's just so depressing. <laughs> Well, I think that's all right. But, you know, thank God that the world has people like Abby Jacobson um, who make shows that, by the way, that my teenage sons at the time were huge Broad City fans and, and you know, just loved the show, thought it was hilarious, loved them. And to them, it wasn't a show about women. It was a show about friends. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, she obviously talked quite a bit about you know friendship and relationships and and your people and um you know she's uh, she's got a she's got a great way of expressing that um and i'm couldn't be more anxious to see what she does with the league of their own in that mm -hmm. regard yeah i mean I, I i always felt like broad city had a lot of crossover i mean you know my husband and i used to watch it together i have a lot of male friends who enjoyed it as much as any of my female friends did um it's true it's a it's a woman's story but just because something's about women doesn't mean that it's not relatable to other people. And I'm glad, obviously, that the folks at Comedy Central recognize that. Yeah. And by the way, we've talked about this a bunch, particularly yeah. you and I in these conversations. You know, I remember debating that show. And I think I, I know Amy's show had already been on and I think was a hit. Yeah. And even and even then, I think we just debated. I think it was less about it being you know, sort of uh, female focused. And I think it was just more about like, is this right for us? And mm -hmm. And are these, you know, are these two women, the women that are going to, you know, sort of bring this home? And, and, you know, we mentioned, uh, and hopefully uh, we mentioned uh, Kent Alterman uh, mm -hmm. in the body of the, of the interview, but, you know, he was running Comedy Central that time. And he was a, he was the reason that show got on the air. He was a big believer in Abby and Alana and what they were doing and was certain um, that they were going to be able to deliver and that the show was going to be right for Comedy Central. And, and he was so mm -hmm. good for us. Yeah. And like I said, when we were talking, you know, I, I do think that some of the same like thematic elements, uh, even though it's a very different kind of show, are still present in A League of Their Own. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense to me that Abby was attracted to that and wanted to make that show because I feel like it's, even though it's a period piece and, and it's more dramatic in a lot of ways than Broad City was, it's still like that makes sense to me if you're looking at a body of work like, oh, of course, she would want to do that. Right. I, I didn't realize she had been working on it so long. That was uh, yeah. sort of news to me. Yeah, I guess I didn't remember that either. Probably in part because things got lost during the pandemic and I just lost track of 
where a lot of things were in the development and production process. It's got to be gratifying to finally see it come to fruition. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm a, I'm an Abbey fan and I'm a baseball fan, so this is uh, be, this is be a good one for me. And I just want to say for the record, I thought Girls was a really good show. I just Too thought now you I have thought, not. I thought City was better. <laughs> That's no one on Girls will ever speak to us again. Well, I was going to say, we're, not, we're never getting any of them on this show, so uh, we'll have to... We'll, well, not now. Not, <laughs> not now. Not now, not ever. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed our visit with Abby Jacobson, and Jen and I hope you will join us next time on BASIC. BASIC is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Chaney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Mixed, mastered, and music by Jerry Danielson. Edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't, Don't forget, forget to follow, follow the show so you, you never, never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.